midst of World War II, C.S. Lewis gave four radio broadcasts over the BBC, which would later be compiled into a book entitled Mere Christianity. This book inspired my journey to know why I believe what I believe. Welcome to Bear Christianity. You know those classes in college that you have to take? They're not part of your major, but they're they're like these core classes, and you, everybody has to take them in order to graduate? Well, my strategy for those classes was to try to find the easiest class that would require the least amount of work. I, I had other things going on. I was playing baseball, and I was a biology major, and that's a lot of work in and of itself. So I was just looking for easy classes. And so I saw Introduction to the Bible. Now, I grew up in a Christian school, in a Christian home, went to church my whole life. So I I knew the Bible better than most college students. So that's the one I signed up for. And so on my very first homework assignment, it was just an essay. And I remember I did not get the grade I thought I was going to get. When I heard the assignment, I'm like, oh, this is easy. Knock it out of the park. Well, I had a lot of red markings all over my page, and most of it was marking through the word scripture. And then at the end, I had a note at the end of, uh, it said, you know, minus whatever. And then there was a note at the end of my paper, and it said, scripture implies that the text is holy or sacred, that the Bible is holy or sacred, but the Bible is not a sacred text. And so, therefore, you can't use the word scripture. So, <laughs> and I remember thinking, oh boy, I am not in Kansas anymore. So, that story kind of kicks us off into a series that I want to do about the Bible how we got our Bible, why I believe the Bible is the Word of God, why are there differences in different translations, what translation's best. Spoiler alert, I'm not going to, you know, settle on one translation, but we're going to talk about the differences and that'll, that'll help you pick one that's good for you. And then, uh, you know, there's all these different manuscripts. Why do some manuscripts differ from one another? So lots of those type of things. And I, I've, I have found this topic very interesting as well. That's the purpose of this podcast, really, is to share with you why I believe what I believe. I've spent the last several years really investigating very deep into a lot of these, these things and just wanted to share some stuff that I've learned. So uh, that hopefully you'll enjoy this series on the Bible before we get started, you can connect with me a few different ways. You can email me at bearchristianity at gmail.com, and then you can follow me on Instagram at the real Bear Martin. And so feel free to send me some messages. I am starting to get more messages from listeners, which is really encouraging. I love seeing those messages. Some of them are, have been really, really funny. Um, others, you know, very serious questions that I like to, to look up answers for. So that's been fun. So send those in. Um, now, this is typically when I do a special segment of the show called A Bear in the Woods, and it's going to be a little different today. I'm going to I'm gonna roll the music just in case, but I, usually I answer like a kind of a silly question. But today I want to share with you something funny that I saw. So the Braves are playing in the World Series. The last time the Braves won the World Series was 1995. I was eight years old, and I remember watching them play the Cleveland Indians. And so just for old time's sake, the other night, I was, I was looking up game one of the, the 1995 World Series. And what I saw in the, the first few minutes there, they're like introducing the teams, you know, all the, the teams out on the field, and they're calling out all the players one by one and introducing them. And this is on the TV broadcast, right? And I saw something really funny, and so I just wanted to share it with you. It's it's a classic baseball prank. 
And so baseball, it, it just, I, I love being, I loved being a ball player. There's just so many fun things about the game. Baseball's a little different in that there's downtime between pitches and between innings. And so, you know, the players from different teams, you're talking to one another, you're you're kind of hanging out in the dugout. The dugout's like a little village in and of itself. You have different groups and they're talking about different things. And, and a lot of times it's like scheming and playing pranks on one another. So there, that goes on a lot. And so this is just a classic prank that happened on national TV. I forgot all about it. I did not, I did not remember it at all until I saw this video. So there'll be a link to this video in the the episode notes so just look for that and i'll set it up where it should start at the eight and a half like eight minutes 40 second mark somewhere right in there so it'll give you a few seconds uh leading up to what i'm talking about so all i'll say is that it is a bubblegum prank and it is just a classic one if you're a ball player this has probably been done to you or you have probably tried to do it to someone else and this guy pulled it off on national TV, game one of the World Series. So <laughs> just, I just got a, a kick out of it. So I wanted to share that with you. And so enjoy that. And this has been a sort of a special bear in the woods. Okay, today I'm going to cover some basic things. My, my outline is, I believe the Bible is the Word of God. I believe the Bible is inerrant. And I believe the Bible is the standard. So let's talk about the Bible. Some basics. It's 66 books. Now, the Catholic version of the Bible does have some extra books. That's called the Apocrypha. We'll talk about that in later episodes. But the, the my Bible has 66 books. It was written over a period of about 1,500 years by around 40 different authors. Now, notice I said around 40 different authors. Does it bother you that we don't know the authors of some of these books? You know, so hang on to that if it does. Keep, keep on listening to later episodes. Now, why do I consider the Bible to be the Word of God? This is the first main point I want to discuss. And here's a, just a disclaimer. Some of my arguments may seem circular, so I'm sorry about that. Uh, so, you know, a circular argument would be this. I believe the Bible to be true. The Bible says it's the Word of God. Therefore, the Bible is the Word of God. <laughs> I, know, I realize that's not a very strong argument. Um, but my belief in the Bible as the Word of God is dependent on a few foundational beliefs. So I believe God exists. I'm not an atheist. I covered that in episode two. The laws of logic and objective moral values convince me that God is a personal God as well. And so because I, it, it's inerrant to me how I should treat other people. And, I, and I, I would argue that in a healthy mind, everybody sort of has this sense of the way people should be treated. Those are objective moral values. And so because of that, that I feel like it's, it's almost built in, we're created with that knowledge, that points to a God who is personal. And so I believe God exists and God is personal. And so a personal God will interact with his creation. And so that's kind of the foundation. And then when I look at the other, you know, all the world religions, um, and I haven't investigated every single one of them down to the T, but but. Uh, pretty much all the major world religions I've investigated, I've spent a significant amount of time trying to learn what they teach. And I find that Christianity and the Bible are most consistent with the the world that I know, the created world that I know, and also my own thoughts and feelings. I feel like the, the Bible aligns with that. I, I see it as very consistent, whereas I find inconsistencies in other sacred books, 
from other religions and, and those types of things. So as I, as I do series on other religions, I'll get into a lot of that more. But that's why I believe the Bible to be the Word of God. Also, it, it start, you know, and, and so then you could ask, well, why do you believe the Old Testament and the New Testament are reliable and that sort of thing? So here's kind of my flow chart. It starts with Jesus, so go figure. But Jesus lived between the writing of the Old Testament and the writing of the New Testament. And so during his life, now the reason we know about Jesus' life is because we have the New Testament, specifically the Gospels. And so during his life, Jesus verified the Old Testament when he said things like, it is written, or he would, he would say things like, um, scripture cannot be broken. So Jesus verified the Old Testament making those claims. He says it is written 28 times in the Gospels, and 14 times in the Gospel, Jesus uses the word scripture. And typically, as I was reading through these verses, typically it's a context of Jesus's debating or arguing with Jewish leaders, and Jesus is making a point, and it's almost like the the what he always goes back to is the Old Testament. And, and so he says things like, it is written, or, you know, do you not remember? Have you not read? And so he is basically considering the Old Testament as like the final standard authority. So when he's arguing with the Jewish leaders, it's like that's the common ground. It's like they both agree that the Old Testament is the standard. And so therefore, Jesus is arguing from that. We never have any evidence that Jesus ever argued about the reliability of the Old Testament with the Jewish leaders. It's almost assumed that the Old Testament was this rock-solid, reliable source that Jesus could appeal to. So Jesus verifies the Old Testament. Now also, in the New Testament, I'm going to connect a few dots here, but, but Jesus basically commissions his followers to write the New Testament. And so here in Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Now, this is talking about the prophets in the Old Testament, and many of them wrote their own books, Jeremiah, Isaiah. And so the prophets of the Old Testament. And then it says this, Hebrews 1 says this, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. And so Jesus is basically like the final complete, you know, final piece of the puzzle, revelation of God. Jesus comes and, and reveals, he, he sort of opens up the Old Testament and, and says, all of the Old Testament is fulfilled in me. So Jesus takes the Old Testament and then applies all these pictures of the Old Testament to himself, and then he'll commission his followers to write the New Testament, and there we have Christianity, okay? Now, uh, Richard Balcom wrote a book He's a, he's a New Testament historian. He wrote a book called Jesus and the Eyewitnesses, which lays out the evidence in detail for his, his theories, basically, on how the Gospels are, can be traced back to eyewitness testimony from the disciples. Now, here's a disclaimer on the book. It is, it's a deep book, and so it is definitely a thinker, but well worth it. I, I really enjoyed it. Okay, so we have Jesus is sort of uh, the final revelation of God, okay? And then Jesus is going to say this, the night before he is betrayed and then would be crucified, in John 14, he's talking to his disciples and he's encouraging them and he's promising the Holy Spirit will come to them. He says this, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then later on, a few chapters later, the same night, Jesus is praying to God the Father, and he's, he's praying about his disciples. And he says, for I have given them the words that you gave me, 
And they have received them, and they have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you have sent me. And just a few verses down, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. I love this verse because in John, it's John seventeen twenty. Jesus is actually praying for you and me. He is, he is praying for people that will believe in him because of the words that his disciples will write down, because of their testimony going forward. And so that's how we have my little chart for, for why I believe the Old Testament and the New Testament are reliable. Again, it starts with Jesus, and then it branches off, and Jesus verifies the reliability of the Old Testament, and then he commissions the writing of the New Testament. Now, furthermore, the Bible claims to be the Word of God. John MacArthur is a prominent pastor, and he wrote a study Bible. It's called the MacArthur Study Bible, and I have a copy of that. But he notes that over 2,000 times in the Old Testament alone, the Bible asserts that God spoke what is written within its pages. And then in the New Testament, the authors wrote as if they were writing from God. They, they give credit to God for the words that they write. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. And then Peter, he was speaking about Paul's letters in, the, in, in 2 Peter 3.15 and 16. So Peter says this, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, and as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, and, and any time you've really dig into Paul's letters. I mean, he's a deep thinker. He was a, a, a leader, a religious elite scholar. And so he, he's, he's a deep guy. So sometimes it is, it is difficult. You really have to dig into Paul's letters. But Peter says this, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. And so here, when Peter says the other scriptures, that implies that he considers Paul's writings as scripture as well. And so the, the and, and you can find other verses too in the New Testament where the New Testament writers, they're writing letters to a lot of times people they know, yet they are, they're speaking, there's a, there's a sense in that their message is the word of God. So the Bible so Jesus verifies the reliability of the Bible. The Bible claims to be the Word of God. And, and I just want to share this C.S. Lewis quote. I've given this before, but it's about Jesus and, and Jesus' claims. Jesus claimed to be God. And so C.S. Lewis makes this argument. A lot of people just want to take Jesus as a, a good moral teacher or, or a prophet, but Jesus claimed to be more than that. Therefore, Jesus is either a lunatic, he's a liar, or he is Lord. And in a similar way, the Bible claims to be the Word of God. It doesn't just claim to be a book of good, good sayings, uh, although there are, you know, like Proverbs, for instance, there's a lot of just wise sayings that even someone who doesn't believe the Bible can still benefit from that. But the Bible claims to be the Word of God. And as a Christian, I believe the Bible has authority in my life. And here's the difference. If the Bible is the Word of God, then I must shape my life 
to comply with what the Bible teaches me. If people are just looking at the Bible as, well, you know, there's some good things in there, but not everything is is reliable, not everything is good, that sort of thing, then then what's happening is you are you basically acting like God. You're saying, okay, I have the authority to decide what is good and what is not. And I'm just going to take this little piece of the Bible, but I'm going to leave the other piece. But I would argue that the Bible doesn't claim to be that. And, and God has not preserved his word in a way that we can view it like that. And so for me, and again, this podcast is why I believe what I believe. For me, the Bible has ultimate authority in my life because the it's the Bible that teaches me about God, about my own sin, about how that sin is forgiven in Jesus Christ, and also how to treat others. And so that's my standard. That's how I view the Bible. Now, the next big point I want to discuss is I also believe the Bible is inerrant. That's uh, like without error, okay? And But I need to explain what Christians mean by inerrant, the biblical inerrancy. The ESV Study Bible has a section on biblical inerrancy, and it defines the doctrine this way. The doctrine of inerrancy means that the Bible is entirely truthful and reliable in all that it affirms in its original manuscripts. Another way of saying this, a simple way, is that the Bible does not affirm anything that is contrary to fact. So the concept of inerrancy it's guarded by the fact that Christians believe God oversaw the writing of the Bible. It, the, the Bible is God-breathed. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God. There, Paul, Paul is writing this, and Paul sort of makes up a word, theanoustos, meaning theos, meaning God, noustos, breathed. The Scripture is God-breathed. Breathed out by God is another translation. Some translations will say inspired by God. Anyway, Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So it's this idea that God's Word is inspired by God, breathed out by God. With that, it carries God's attributes. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not worshiping the physical pages of the Bible or anything like that, but if God's the one who, who wrote it, then it is trustworthy, it is true, it is reliable, it does not lie. And so that I trust the Bible because I trust God. Now, critics of the Bible love to complain about alleged errors or contradictions in the Bible. If this comes up, if you're a Christian and somebody says this to you, ask them for an example. A lot of times they will not be able to give you one right off the top of their head because it's not something that they've actually looked into, they've just sort of heard it, and and they're they're just passing it on. And so ask them for an example. Now, there are there are plenty of examples that people can bring up as possible contradictions or errors or whatever in the Bible, but ask them for one because that allows the conversation to be fruitful. If you just sort of walk away or whatever or it's just leave it in generalities, you you haven't done anything. But ask them for an example because then that gives you something to look into and either get back with them or just just open the Bible right there if you've already looked into this, that one yourself, and you can explain it. And so, you know, let's look at one of these possible uh, contradictions. Uh, But before I do that, I actually want to mention this too. We've got to judge the authors of the Bible based on the genre that they are writing. And so the Bible contains historical narrative, poetry, ancient biography, prophecy, you know, lots of different genres. And it's unfair to judge the author's 
you know, with outside of their genre or outside of their context. And so we can't judge poetry as if it's a scientist in a lab writing. You know, their writing style is different and the purpose of those is different. So here's an example. You know, even today, we say things like the sun rises and the sun sets. This does not mean that we believe that the sun actually is rising and setting. The sun is the center of our solar system, but we're speaking from our own perspective sometimes. It's just a common way to explain things and to speak. And so to us, it appears the sun is rising and setting. So when your friend says, oh, we were at the beach last week and we got up early to watch the sunrise, you don't respond, liar, or uh, that's not true, or the, you know, the sun doesn't actually rise and set. You, no, you, you just you get what they're saying. And so it's just a common way of speaking. And so to look at every single little verse in the Bible and then ha- ha- force it into this, oh, the author must be speaking as a scientist trying to explain the universe, it's just not the accurate way to read. And so, you know, be aware of that. But let's, let's talk about one alleged contradiction in the Bible. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are sometimes called the synoptic gospels, and there's a lot of stories that are very similar and sometimes word for word. So there's a, there's a story that's found in Matthew 8 and Luke 7, and it's about a Roman centurion. A Roman centurion is in charge of a, a, around 100 soldiers. And so in Matthew's account, the the centurion goes to Jesus and says, I have a servant who is sick, and please heal, heal the servant. And then the centurion says, and Jesus, you don't even have to come to my home. I know that you can speak it right where you're at, and they will be healed. And so Jesus is, is amazed at this man's faith, and he heals the centurion's servant. Okay, that's Matthew's account. Luke's account, the centurion doesn't actually go to Jesus. Rather, some Jewish elders in the community go to Jesus on behalf of the centurion and say the centurion's servant is sick. And then the centurion also says that Jesus, you don't even have to, uh, you don't even have to come to the house to heal him. The centurion believes you can heal him right where you're at. And so Jesus is amazed at the faith and, and heals the servant. Now, did the centurion go to Jesus himself or did the centurion send the Jewish leaders to Jesus? That's where people say that that's where there's a contradiction. Mike Lacona has a, a great book called Why Are There Differences in the Gospels, and where he covers some things like this. But basically, he, he has a little joke where he says, Luke often tells the girl version of the story, whereas Matthew will tell the guy version. So the girl version usually has all the little details that a lot of people don't really care about, <laughs> except girls, I guess. Um, and then there's the guy version, the, the short, brief, get to the point. And so that's what's happening here. The authors of Matthew and Luke are not trying to deceive or lie or anything like that. Their intention is to just tell the story, and the story has a purpose. And whether the centurion went himself or the centurion sent the Jewish leaders, it doesn't really change the outcome of the story. The the lessons from that story and and what it tells us about Jesus is still accurate and true. And so someone who, who, like I hold the Bible to be the inerrant Word of God— but I do not force it. I do not force different authors to have to tell the same story word for word. And if any part of their account is any different in, for just a single word, then I have to throw out the, the entire Bible as, as having errors and contradictions. And so these are the type of things that people will bring up. And many times it's just different people telling a different form of the story, but it doesn't change the outcome. It's, it's not that they're trying to be deceitful in any way. This brings me to another verse I want to mention. It's 2 Peter 1.21. 
For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So there's a divine sort there's a divine origin to the Bible, but there's also a human origin to the Bible. It's men spoke from God and wrote from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So you could ask yourself, who wrote Romans? And you could say the Apostle Paul wrote Romans, but you could also say the Holy Spirit wrote Romans. So just like Jesus entered human flesh, God wrote his word through the hands of men. God did not force them into a trance and their eyes glazed over, and then they started muttering strange things, and then a pen appeared in their hand, and they started scribbling as if they were possessed. No, the the authors of the Bible wrote just like you and me would write a letter. Yet the Holy Spirit worked through that to have written what needed to be written. So when you have these different gospel accounts, like I just mentioned, Matthew's story and Luke's story, these are these are two different men who are writing stories about Jesus, and they are crafting their gospel to teach people about Jesus Christ. And so, you know, who cares if the centurion went himself or he sent emissaries? They are just relating the story about Jesus Christ. So there's a, a divine side of the Bible and, and a human side of the Bible. God works in history. He he uses real people having real conversations. The Christian life is the same way. Christians are not like some kind of uh, robots walking around in a spiritual trance. They are just sharing the gospel through normal conversations. They're real people having real conversations. This is how God works. Sometimes God will intervene and, and work a miracle, but most of the time, God is just working in the normal, everyday parts of life. The last point I want to make today is the Bible is the standard. And so all claims about God must align with the Bible. That's what I mean by that. Now, this is this is more of a this is just a personal opinion of mine. But the Bible is a gift from God to mankind. And in a way, we are all on a level ground when it comes to the Bible. As a Christian, the Bible is the source by which I compare all other truth claims about God. And the reason I place so much importance on the Bible is because it is God's public record. People can claim to have all these private revelations from God, private visions and messages and, and all these private experiences, but the Bible is open for everyone to examine and read. And so I believe God has revealed himself in that way so that, that we can help each other and make sure that we are accurate about the things of God because we can all come to the Bible together. Now, this is just, again, this is just my personal opinion, but here's how I sort of make that decision. Here, here's why I think that's important. In, in my own mind, I imagine there, if there was a man who claimed to have a message from God, and he made some convincing claims about this personal experience that he had, but he started teaching some things about God that I found contrary to the Bible, okay? That, that's, that's sort of the situation. So if that happened, if God asked me, why didn't you believe that that man was sent by me? I would respond, you know, his teaching did not match what is written in the Bible. Basically, I am placing my trust in the Bible as the standard for any revelation from God. So I, I don't want to be wrong about what God has revealed. And so if God has used certain prophets or messengers or whatever, then I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to reject them but I have to hold what they say to the Bible because the Bible is this, it's public. It, it, everybody can go to it together. We're on the same ground. And so that is 
the standard, and then I have to com- compare everything else to that. Martin Luther, a leader in the Protestant Reformation, he said this while standing before a council that was demanding that he recant. He says this, Unless I am convicted by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils because they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. So help me God. Amen. And this is the way I feel about any other supposed revelation of God compared to Scripture. If it does not align with the Bible, I choose to stand on the Bible. I frequently ask the Holy Spirit to show me where and when I am in error. And as I study the Bible, I'm trying to better understand it. But I'm I'm constantly asking the Holy Spirit, keep me in line. Help me to be accurate in understanding your word. Hopefully over the next few weeks, you will see that the Bible can be trusted. God has preserved it throughout history. However, mankind never seems satisfied with the Bible. We always want something more, something new. People want a supernatural experience. Jesus told a parable about a man who was in Hades, a place of torment. The tormented man had an opportunity to speak to Abraham, who was in paradise. So the man who is in Hades, the place of torment, he wants Abraham to send a representative to his family to warn them and basically to get their act together so that they don't come to this place of torment as well. And Abraham says, they have Moses and the prophets. Basically, they have the Old Testament. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, if if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Basically, if they see a miracle, if they see something supernatural, that will be enough to con- to convince them. But Abraham says, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. That's Luke 16. This story is found in Luke 16, 27 through 31. And so we we think that we need, if, if you know people that aren't Christians, they say, well, if God would just show me this crazy miracle, that would that would be enough to convince me. And Jesus, in, in sharing this parable, he, he, said, he says, if you don't believe the Bible, if you can't believe the Bible, then you wouldn't even believe a miracle, even if it happened right in front of your eyes. God's word is sufficient for belief in God. We do not need private experiences or modern day prophets who have visions from God to tell us what to believe. The Bible is God's word to us. In closing, I want to share a fairly lengthy quote, and it's at the end of an intro to the Bible section in the MacArthur Study Bible. And so here it is. Obviously, it's talking about the Bible. This book contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrine is holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be saved, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Here, heaven is open and the gates of hell are disclosed. Christ is the grand subject, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, health to the soul, and a river of pleasure. It is given to you here in this life, will be opened at the judgment, and is established forever. 
it involves the highest responsibility, will reward the greatest labor and condemn all who trifle with its contents. I just love, that's, that's just a wonderful summary of what the Bible is. And I'll close with this verse. It's Proverbs 30, verse 5. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him.